welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio with Mike. Uh, we recorded on Tuesday of this week, and now it is Thursday. So we're getting two in in a week, and this is my first two in quite some time. It's good to be back and working on something here with Mike. So as we talk about living freely in a world given back to us, we are working on, uh, I don't know that this will be a series because we'll probably jump around, but as I got ready to to join Mike back on uh, his podcast here, I had put together a number of possible ideas that we could talk about, and I, I uh, put together an 11-point just mishmash of my ideas on what's going on in the world today. Is it mishmash a good way to put it, Mike? Sure. Uh, well, it's more organized than that. There's a lot of bullet points there, and we recorded last time on Tuesday, so that means that episode should probably come out in April. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. Uh, But uh, we recorded on Tuesday the first part of uh, what we're calling Why America is Losing Its Mind, although, Mike, you argue we maybe never had one. (laughs) uh, I'm I'm just being a jerk there. And the first episode was entitled uh, We're Not Liberals Anymore and We Should Be. And uh, clickbait. Yeah, it is clickbait <laughs> because we're not talking conservative liberal political terms, but historically what it meant to be a liberal in the West and almost all liberals and conservatives in American history historically were liberals. Right. Um, and so liberal versus illiberal. And for number two, I had for why America is losing its mind. And this is just Johnston speculation. So you can dismiss it. Um, but I have, we've, we have forgotten history or never learned it, right? One or the other, it could be there. And so we're going to be talking about today history and its importance, um, what happens when we forget it. Uh, one of the things that we do in my Christ and Culture course is we read a uh, three, really, dystopian novel, novels. And in all three, you see... Uh, part of what leads to dystopia, in addition to you know war or um, pandemic, and in, in the one we read, is going to be uh, a loss of sense of history, and with that identity. And so, hopefully, we can hit on a little bit of that today. Uh, we're not going to do, so far as I know, a free for all. We're going to jump right in because last time we went a little long, Mike. We were well over an hour, mm-hmm. weren't we? Yeah, a few minutes. And. Uh, and so we're going to try to to stay on time today, which is not my spiritual gift. But uh, anything you want to intro this with before we jump to the disclaimer? No, or? I think you did a good job. I'm just going to remind you that 1517 has over 300 videos on YouTube. And today you can find videos from the last 20, uh, last here we still stand, which was uh, in 2020. Um, and it was entitled Freedom of the Christian. There's live stream, 16 hours of conversations. Christ for You, conference talks to weekly video casts. You can find it all in one place. And you can stay up to date by subscribing today. Search 1517 on YouTube and you'll be able to find it. Speaking of uh, 1517, Mike, uh, you got anything coming up with them? They've been grac- they're graciously going to uh, uh, put out a book. It, you can uh, pre order it right now on Amazon. Um, Google Michael Berg to find your Kabbalah books then Google Vocation to buy your Gene Veith books, books, and then Google Mike Berg and Vocation, and you can find my book there and, if you uh, have any money left over. And, and go get your pre-order in, because I'm sure these are going to sell out probably 
first day. Uh, the Barack Obama memoir or whatever it is he just wrote is is setting records. And it's I was looking at that, reading the story of the day, and I thought it's not gonna. Those records aren't gonna stand for long. That's right. Berg's book is is coming I, out. I I don't know what my numbers are just yet. Did anybody write an intro for that for you or? Yeah, Raleigh uh, Stadler. Okay, he did. I know you yeah. had been uh, yeah. uh, you had been talking about Riley doing that yeah. um, from "Let My People Go," right? Yep. So, the uh, well, good. I look forward to. I and uh, going to do a, a video trailer next next week, and also an academy class for. We'll see if it actually comes out, you know. But they're gonna they're gonna put me on video and see if that works out. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to seeing what outfit. You will be. Yeah, my gosh. I'm, I, I think you got to go hipster jeans. I'm not going hipster jeans because. Hipster jeans, and I would wear like a, a, a flannel, but like 90s style where it's open <laughs> with like a band t shirt under it. Um, I'll try to think of a good, good bit. What about counting crows, Mike? No, I, no. I would have, if I would have worn that. Um, I would have, I would have gone classic rock teacher. Yeah, I, I just said counting crows because I like because to play counting like crows it. really loud when, when Mike is. Uh, He's when he already seems flustered because he doesn't like counting crows, and so to drive him over the edge, I like to blare my speaker in my office with a round here. What Wade doesn't know is I really like counting crows, and I just have been. That would be brilliant strategy on your part. It's not. Now I'm gonna play him all the more. It's not. The uh, well, go check out Mike's book. Check out fifteen seventeen, and uh, I suppose we should get in our disclaimer, and then we'll make our way to our. Main topic, the free-for-all will come back sometime. I just think we got to get Peter or Ben in here to yes. do it with us. I, there's a lot of free-for-all topics that have been floated, right. very important topics, a um, lot of animal stuff. Yep. Um, I had some important animal stuff last night. Mike, we, you never really jumped I didn't in on it. We, we have eliminated all our free-for-all ideas cause, except the ones that would be really good if Ben and Peter were here. So. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. back for our main topic this is mike uh wade has put together um a bullet point list of why america is losing its mind and we are on bullet point number two which is we've forgotten history or never learned it let me start there um what do you mean the difference between we've forgotten history or maybe we never really learned it yeah i think uh as far as forgotten history i think there's plenty of cases where um you know in grade school we learned data we learn dates and places and people <clears throat> and events. Um, but there's also, I mean, history that we just ourselves have personally experienced uh, that we easily forget about when we get caught up in the moment, right? Uh, you know, when sometimes you'll hear people talk about 
oh, this is the worst America has ever had to go mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And if you're with like a great grandparent or something, mm-hmm. they might kind of smile and go, uh, you know, that it's been bad before. Um, one, of I, the, one of the good things about being a pastor in a rural area, uh, and I don't know if you knew this, but southern Minnesota, the Dust Bowl came up that far. And uh, the, the, the old time... Is that a college football playoff? Or? No. The, uh, that would be a good one. They should. Why don't they have like in Topeka, Kansas, like the Dust Bowl? That'd be a good. One. Oklahoma should get to like play USC because yeah. all the Okies ended up out there. That'd there you be... go. Um, but they uh, they can remember, and we're even uh, young adults. Um, you know what the the trophy for the Dust Bowl should be? The, it should be grapes. The grapes of wrath trophy. Yeah, like the or the, the Steinbeck the book, or just like a trophy of the book. Like the, the trophy would be the book, or just like bronzed. Bronze grapes. Grapes. Yeah. That would be a good one. We should. Yeah. I mean, there's a bowl for everything. Right. What do you think the sponsor would be? Like Dyson, Dyson Vacuum or something? Maybe uh, like Pledge. Yeah, like, yeah, that'd be a good one. Or um, Swiffer. Yeah, that'd be a good one. We should, do, we should look into this. Yeah. It's really good. Um, but stories about like the depression and stuff like that. And, and then on the farm, that was... Uh, it was good for me to hear those. Okay, I just want to interject that. Yeah, and I think as far as never learned it, um, part of what I want us to, to think about today, too, is not specific eras of history. For instance, um, if you were to ask me, well, Wade, what's your, um, you know, with my PhD in, in, in history, what's your, your main focus on history? It would be 16th century. Um, but I, I don't simply mean knowing an era of history really well, too. Like someone might be a World War II buff, for instance. But uh, to have a, a general understanding of kind of the, the grand sweep of one's personal history, of one's local history, um, and then uh, of, of, you know, Western and, and world history, uh, to simply be informed. So I don't mean that everybody can name, you know, every prime minister of uh, England, you know, for the last 300 years. Um or every king, uh, but uh, what I do mean is to have historical perspective. I mean, I think in many ways, unfortunately, how history has been taught, especially in grade schools and high schools, has been detrimental to that because many people, when I hear them say they don't like history and I ask them more about it, what they don't like is that they memorize names and dates and places, right? Um, and they didn't really, therefore, get a, a narrative um, or they simply got intellectual history, which is um, what I do, so I'm a fan of intellectual history, but they didn't really get um, a sense for uh, cultural or, or social history, um, what uh, what people were experiencing, you know, as they went through uh, different events in, in the past, um, a grand sweep of things. And so I think uh, if we if we if we take it that way, um, it's perhaps helpful if you move to a new place, right? What's you learn the roads, you learn where uh, the uh, the mire or the target or whatever is. But part of kind of really making that place your own is to get to learn some of the history too. Uh, you make friends there, and they take you to some restaurant that goes back to some, you know, place in time. Maybe a, an immigrant community that had lived there. Um, if you're in Milwaukee, you learn about the history of kind of the, the Germans on the north side and the Poles on the south side and this church here and um, and that club there. So so that, I'm not talking just that we don't know names, dates, and places. Because someone might know, like, 
JFK was president at this time. Um, but that doesn't necessarily inform uh, what I'm getting after here, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think probably one thing to think about is think about these are stories, right? right. And, and that's what I mean by narrative. Yeah, they're stories, and if you can tell a story, everybody likes history. They just don't know it, right? It's why Ken Burns' documentaries are so good. Right, and I think not just Ken Burns, but like Ancestry.com, um, going back into like, uh, you know, even even like stuff like Harry Potter and I think we actually are coming out of a modern period, which had a very poor view of history. You know, it's just one damn thing after another. Right. History is bunk. We don't, we're beyond that, um, that there's an actual an interest for history. Um, now that can be manipulated in power struggles, right? And I thought that's what you were going for with, or we never learned it. Like we, we only learned the whitewashed version a hagiography of maybe like we've talked about a hagiography of Luther or Bonhoeffer right. or whatever. At the same time, you could, um, you can have a, a way of teaching history that you say, this is all the things that were forgotten. Therefore, everything you know right now is wrong and you need to completely throw out everything and start anew. Well, if you actually look at history and see the people that tried to do that, that usually ended up in very poor, right. poor places. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I talk a little bit down there in other points. <clears throat> One of the things I want to hit at today is, is, is the kind of the chauvinism of the present. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I can illustrate it with stuff in the parish, and I'm guessing this is uh, an approach you've taken before, too. And G.K. Chesterton talks about this. Right. C.S. Lewis talks about these, these exact phrases. Yeah. Right, and, and sometimes, you know, things come up in the parish— and, you know, well, as a congregation or as a council, we're going to vote on this. And I used to sometimes remember, remind people, like, don't forget the votes of the dead. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who came before us um, who confessed the same faith, who put blood, sweat, and tears into this church. Um, and so we, we owe the past a hearing as well. Um, and, I, and I think there's a, a danger in a chauvinism of the, the present. And maybe if I can just open up, and I know you've thought a lot about this, so I'll throw it to you in a second. I think a lot of that chauvinism of the, the present really is the product of the Enlightenment and modernity. Mm -hmm. If we think about the, the time leading up to the Enlightenment, to be wise, to be learned was to look back, right? This is what the Renaissance was all about, um, to look back to antiquity for models of literature, um, for models of art and, and architecture philosophy and theology and Christianity is born out of that right we look back to the Hebrew and the Greek of the uh, the old and the new but as we look back at it we don't view that history as uh, bound to that time but we see it as living and something that is shaped and informs and speaks to today um, the enlightenment then is a shift towards looking forward. And, and this is not all bad. The Enlightenment and modernity have, have brought us many blessings as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, um, democracy and iPhones, <clears throat> you know, uh, vaccines. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I'm not saying these things are all bad, but the focus begins to look more to the future so that most students today, for instance, if they're writing a research paper for a class, want the most recent sources. And that's often good. Even in a history class, that's often good because the, um, the amount of knowledge we have continues to, to grow. Yet at the same time, 
there can be problems that, that come with this uh, present obsessed and future looking focus. Uh, it can shut us off from understanding who we are. I'm not me without my parents and my grandparents and great-grandparents. I wouldn't have been born in uh, Metro Detroit had it not been for generations before me making decisions. I would not have the DNA I have. I would not um, have identifiable features that I have had it not been for, for generations of people before me. I wouldn't have the temperament I have. I wouldn't have the worldview I have, right? Where I was born, to whom I was born, uh, in what circumstances I was born, shaped how I see the world, what I consider beautiful, um, what I value uh, above other things, whether I have a more individual or a collective focus. Um, these are all things that the past has uh, in many ways, determined uh, for me, and not in a fatalistic, uh, tyrannical way, but in many ways in a wonderful, uh, it's, it's what we recognize on a, on a Veterans Day, for instance, right? That there are ways, there are people who died at 20 years old um, because they wanted a better future for their country, for their families. Um, and so we look back to remember that we would not be what we are today without that sacrifice. But but there's only a few of those days in the year where we really stop and look back. And there's a lot of things we don't look back on, right? <clears throat> For instance, many will celebrate Labor Day. But how many on Labor Day think about the labor movements and the fact that now there's a good chance I'm not going to lose a limit work. Mm -hmm. My uh, eight-year-old doesn't have to work in a factory I have a 40-hour work week, um, you know, health care, hopefully. Um, so even that, often that, that focus can be lost. And so this, this tyranny of the present um, and this obsession with the future can really lead to, um, I would say, a historical schizophrenia almost um, and its own apocalypticism that everything becomes the biggest thing ever mm -hmm. because I'm all wrapped up in now <laughs> and in the future, and I've lost my moorings. I'm not anchored in the sea of contemporary life. And, and so that's um, especially what I, I, my thought going into this, and I'll throw it to you because you've done a lot with the enlightenment and modernity, but this, um, it's an unhealthy thing, I think, individually. Why do, why do we do Ancestry.com? Mm -hmm. We want the story of who we are and how we got here. It's built into us. <clears throat> um, there's a reason even the earliest humans left markers for their dead um, or had certain places that became considered sacred um, because they said something about who they were or what had happened in the past. And so I think there's just a general unhealthiness about it individually, um, in communities, in institutions, and in society. I'll throw it your way now. Yeah, and I think the, <clears throat> the modern period, which will roughly say, you know, post-Reformation Renaissance up until about now, um, had a lot of people that were optimistic. Right, and we think during this time, scientific revolution, yep. industrial, industrial revolution. revolution. And um, the idea of unlimited progress, the promise of unlimited progress, and there was an ends justifies the means too. We were, were okay with certain collateral damage, 
um, it'd be the workers on the east end of London in this. You or know. the environment. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, we, we don't accept that anymore. And I think that's a good thing. Um, that, so, you know, and at the end of that modern period, I'm going to pick on baby boomers a little bit, but I'm thinking mostly in the church was, it was newer was always going to be better. Right. right. And you can understand that growing up under the, the generation, the, the so-called greatest generation where I, you know, they're, they're, uh, coming out of world war two, their, uh, attitude towards progress. We can get to the moon, the way they dress, the way they built their houses, and the way this, they this decorated the, the houses. We can speak of a middle class in history, but the, the real rise of a true, meaningful, powerful middle class takes place after World War II. And so you have people now also who are beginning to own their own homes. Yep. Um, they're beginning to be able to send their children for higher ed. Um, so there's a real economic optimism yeah. as well. And you can just, I, I, I think you can see it in their fashion, in the way they design their homes and stuff like that, that it was futuristic, right? This kind people of idea. People are watching the Jetsons. Right, all this kind of stuff. And so in the church, the, the boomers, by and large, unless they were countercultural, were going to basically, whether they admit it or not, fall into the trap of saying old is bad uh, just because it's old and new is good just because it's, because it's new. Don't trust anyone over 30. Right. And, um, you know, so do I find great delight that the boomers are older now and seen as, you know, yes, I do. Yes, I do, Wade. Um, but, uh, that, that idea of looking forward was, was equal to being open-minded. And I think that was a very dangerous idea that, that very few people, uh, called BS on. And I just, just imagine a timeline from, um, you know, just go back to let's start at Noah and to the, to the future, to, to the present. And you have a cross in the middle where Jesus Christ was. And if you're going to line up what you think you should gather information from the present, this modern chauvinism, history is bunk. It's just one damn thing after another. Let's get out of our superstitious past and, uh, all of those bad things in the past and, and draw the line, you know, on where you begin your knowledge and you end your knowledge or where, where, the people that are smart enough that you're going to listen to, that's a very tiny kind of, of, of timeline. But if you say, I'm going to listen to the whole past and I'm going to let uh, GK Chesterton's democracy of the dead have a say, if I'm going to truly stand on the shoulders of great people and I'm, and, and I'm not just talking Christians, I'm talking Plato and Aristotle and uh, Chinese philosophers and you know, all the rest. Diogenes. Yeah. Diogenes never gets much love. <laughs> Um, you lived in a bowl. I am going, I, I am by definition, if you look on that timeline and about it, as much information that you can get, I am literally going to be more open-minded. And, uh, in my worship class, I make a big deal about that because, um, don't just throw away the history of this, this art and this culture, because then you've become a church of one and you're going to stink. And, uh, the newness uh, lasts about, well, as about the newness of a, the new car smell. And then it becomes old again and your stuff, because it doesn't, has not stood the test of time is not going to be worth remembering. It's plastic. And, and so now to, 
extrapolate that on political thought. On I like that it's plastic too because it's it ends up in the landfill, but it just it still litters just the earth. Still <sighs> yeah. there, you know. Well, plastics is a perfect example of this, you know, uh, <clears throat> of how cool that was and how awesome it was. I mean, what would we be without plastic? You know, I mean, it is cheap. It is you know all that for all these reasons. But have there been has there been a loss to the environment? Has there been a loss to craftsmanship? Yes. Um, you know, these are the these are the 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 modern progress left us with some problems, and I'm I'm so happy happy for our the generation we're teaching in college right now because they're not buying what modernity was selling. Now I don't necessarily. And while the millennials get bashed, the millennials also were the some of the early ones to see right. some of the real problematic things. And I'm not I'm not confident in their answer, but I'm confident that they're asking the right questions. Right. So how do you how does history play a part in this? I mean, Gen X started to see it, but we mostly just made like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. We were too lazy to do anything about it. (laughs) Although "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is a pretty good video for saying, "Hey, maybe there's some some issues." Right. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll well, I you know how I I think that we should talk in broader philosophical terms and generations, but uh, you know, that generation thing is. It's so American, right? And I think it has value, but it's, do you think like... It's rooted in marketing in many ways. Right. I mean, do you think like in, you know, 6th century India or the 12th century France, they were like, oh, that, was that generation of, of uh, I don't, we should come up with names of these generations. Although, you know, it you is know. great. Like Socrates gets put to death for corrupting the youth of Athens, but... Sure. But Plato also has, like, Socrates complaining about kids these days. Yeah. And uh, although he doesn't say, like, Generation Athens 2 right, is right. the you know the worst. At what And I, I'm, I am not bashing it because it is helpful, and it's, it's a part of our education, and I, I think it's interesting, cool, whatever. I just think, as in all things, there's limitations. And, but what does bother me is, like, well, this generation that was born between 2015 and 2020 this is what there's what they're going to be like whoa hold on for a second maybe they could get out of diapers before you and i do think there's a i don't know if this is right the heisenberg principle but like when you're studying you've already labeled something you're participating in this can you maybe you're affecting the outcome of this when you're telling when you're telling a igen person who they are at like seven or eight or nine and then you're surprised that they became what you were telling them they were forever. Well, it also, it also seems like these generational stereotypes always skew like white and suburban too. Like sure. it ignores kind of the, the vast different differences and experiences people have rural and urban and, um, so yeah. let's apply that to history then. When I'm looking at history, should I be looking at a lens that's American? Should be I looking at a lens that right. is, uh, conscious of race? Should I be conscious of gender? Um, you know, how does that affect us? I mean, you're the historian. Let's go down that, that avenue. Well, and that's a little bit what I was trying to get at in, um, you know, moving beyond simply intellectual history. You know, George Washington wouldn't tell a lie. Um, the Founding Fathers wrote the Bill of Rights and Constitution. Um, to also get some cultural and social history, how did the Bill of Rights trickle down, right? Did most people <coughs> benefit from it? Who was it applied to? Um, you know, uh, what was the experience of people living their lives of George Wallet, uh, Washington's administration? 
um, you know, we have this rosy picture of the Revolutionary War as if like all Americans were so united then mm-hmm. and we just came together. Well, it was actually a, a pretty small minority of people who were really willing to fight and, and were pushing for independence. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't as, as nearly as uniform a, a thing as we might think. That's not to denigrate the, the American Revolution. It's not to denigrate our, our founding documents or anything like that. <clears throat> but um, but we, we kind of learn, like, the, the big thoughts or the big names. Um, or think of how, you know, people sometimes you get, especially younger people who are World War II buffs, and they really um, glorify, right, a lot of aspects of, of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, well, usually what they're attracted to is the big names, the big fights, mm-hmm. the the big guns, the big tanks. And they miss out on uh, what was it like to live in occupied France? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how did the average German um, come to terms with, with Hitler in, in power? Or uh, stuff like that we we really wrestle with. Um, and so I, I think uh, that's where the, the challenge comes. And, you know, there, it used to be, remember when you could, like, turn on TV and if you had cable, you had, like, a History Channel and I think A&E used to do this and Discovery and they they would run, like, really interesting documentaries. And even that now we seem to have given up now so that the History Channel, as one of my professors used to call it, is basically the Hitler Channel. <laughs> it's, you know, all Nazis or all aliens all the time. Um, A&E is like, a, you know, reality TV. Um, and so we, we really don't get a lot of opportunities to get perspective. Think even with with COVID, um, how many people have an understanding of the Spanish flu of 1918? Sure. Um, and, you know, we, we think this is this thing that America has never gone through before. Uh, and it's just not the, the case. Um, and, I mean, since 19, in 1918, there's been... I, what polio used to do and um and so when we lose that everything becomes the biggest thing ever and so what does that do it heightens the rhetoric it heightens the fear and so now you get wearing a mask or not wearing a mask is the end of the world you know i saw someone the other day sharing something about the mask is just for them to see how far you'll obey and then it had like some image of like in five years some dudes in like a full burqa (laughs) you know (laughs) like it uh you know, well, if you study history, it's you're less prone to that. And the same can be true on the, the other side of things. You know, well, if Trump won a second term, there'd be no more America. And you look at history and go, there's been a lot of times where you could say there'd be, like, one time, like, America formed two sides and went to war. Right. And there still was uh, America, you know. And, and that's not to diminish contemporary challenges. No. It's just you're not well-suited. Think about having to make a decision as an individual in the midst of trauma. Is that when you want to make your decisions? Is that when you make your, your best decisions? Um, no, we, we know what trauma can do to us. Well, all these, all these ch- contemporary challenges become trauma um, when we've become unmoored or when we individually have no anchoring for dealing with them, whether that be the anchoring of faith um, the anchoring of uh, a sense of a family and community and kindred um, with the present and with the past, um, an institutional mooring, uh, perhaps this becomes even more challenging. And I think we see this even with Christians. 
um, who now everything is just apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. But the apocalypticism has changed. It's a very American apocalypticism. It's not the apocalypticism of the scriptures. And we then become unmoored. Uh, you know, I, I got off social media very happily. So the only thing now is I have a, a Facebook uh, uh, account where I think I have five friends, Ben Peter for the podcast page and Ben for the, the church page. And then my mom and my sister-in-law and my wife and my daughter. And I've had people who are good friends who have tried to friend me. And I've just said, uh-uh, I'm not taking friend requests. My profile picture is Mark, Zucker, Mark Zuckerberg is big brother. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember what the cover is. I'd have to look, but it's um, some sort of dystopian thing. Let me, I'll try to pull it up while I'm talking. Um, but part of what, oh, it's Fahrenheit 451, a matchbook. <laughs> but um, part of what I just had to get off was was seeing even clergy, who this should be our moment. Mm-hmm. This should be our moment to speak sanity, right? Those who know me know Mark 5 is one of my favorite chapters of the scriptures. And I love that the demoniac in Mark 5.15, he's the only one who's in his right mind at the end of the story, even though he was the crazy one at the beginning. Why? Because he met Jesus, right? And this should be our moment, our moment to bring and to speak Jesus in. And and, and instead, people are posting um, as if this is, this is the end of everything if this or that happens. Um, they're wrapped up sometimes even in conspiracy theories where you go, do I mean, if you, Mike, were posting um, conspiracy theories all the time and I'm looking for someone to be a, a, a spiritual <clears throat> father to me, to be someone who can interpret a text and calmly apply it to the times, am I going to go to you? And yet this is what the church is putting out there for the, for the world to see is this completely unhinged <clears throat> Um, stance on things. And it's not just on the church on the right. The church on the left is exactly the same way about, you know, uh, where you you pick, everything's a huge crisis. Well, who's going to go to the church when when that's not, we should be where there is a hinge, where there is sanity, and to be able to speak to that. And that's not to say people shouldn't be concerned or politically involved. I have kids, you have kids. I don't want some sort of like dystopian future for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But at the same time, at the very uh, same time, Jesus is still crucified and risen and ascended for me. And whatever shall come uh, will be uh, for the good of those who, who love him. Uh, Christ is not going <coughs> to forsake his, his church. Um, and, and so, you know, to be able to, to historically, you know, the church has never faced anything like this before. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Are you really serious? The church has never... Did you hear what they did to our God? Right. They nailed him to it looked it looks terribly I've seen pictures, Mike, like <laughs> paintings. It looks terribly yeah. painful. Eleven of the twelve apostles are are put to death. Luther lives his whole life under a death threat. It seems that uh, you know, the preaching of the gospel may be completely wiped out after his death. Um, they go through plague, um, worse plague than, than we're facing. Uh, they face the French Revolution, and yet now, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. How can we? People are saying things on Twitter that we don't like, and, um, you know, we might have uh, a different health care public policy. Uh, I'll stop my rant now. but Yeah, and I think the other thing about, like, not knowing your history, just knowing, okay, things were... A, um, uh, 
not rosy at certain points. There's no there's no repristination of a of a glorious time. Right. right. That didn't so I, exist. I get some people. Well, we want to go back to first century Christianity. I'm like, first of all, no, you don't. Second of all, you have no idea. Right. Um, but that there, we've also been through worse and all that kind of stuff. But here's another thing to think about is the more you understand history, the more you become humble about saying things about the present, because there's plenty of times when I say we need another 500 years to look back and really understand our time. And so that also helps kind of, uh, let's say mitigate the apocalyptic, nature or the or the chauvinism that we have of the present say i'm not even sure we really understand what's going on right now because it is it is insulting to the past too because the chauvinism of the present acts as if no one in the past had near the intelligence and the wisdom and the abilities we have and and really can make a pretty pretty good case for the opposite yeah just because we have iphones or heated car seats um they could memorize the whole iliad (laughs) Right. right they they thought up thinking, right? Um, and and so yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but just the just the fact that you be, it's like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And when I look when I look at our time, I go, I can make some guesses, but there's going to be yeah, five hundred years from now, they're going to miss some things about our time if we're here that long. But they're going to have some clarity about us that we ourselves didn't even have, right? So, you know, I'm in the midst of teaching Luther uh, class, so I'll bring up that as an example. But, you know, we'll talk about all the influences Luther had. I had really, I had a couple good papers on Staupitz. We talked about that last time. Does, at the moment, Luther really understand the importance of Staupitz for not just himself, but the, the Reformation itself? Like we, uh, we had argued that if, if Stalpitz doesn't say the game changer is looking to Christ, then it's just another monk complaining about indulgences and the papacy and the corruption. And he's a footnote in history at best. So does Luther always get that? Maybe. But I think we can look back at that with a whole lot of clarity. I've kind of been, have I been your Stalpitz, Mike? Um, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm your Bugenhagen, but we'll talk about that later. This is, I think I actually, I, I like that. I think that's so right too. We'll, we'll, for Valentine's day, I'm going to get you a card that says, or you should get me a card that says, thanks you're for my being my Bugenhagen. Yeah, I like you're that. my Bugenhagen. I think that's actually a good, I like it. Uh, but, um, like we have to, I'm probably like your Karlstadt. Yeah. You're right. Karlstadt. Um, so we need 100, 200 years to really kind of wrap our heads around this age going from the modern to the post. We we need 200 years to even label it, right? We shouldn't be labeling stuff right now. Um, we should be, we should be uh, thinking about the past and trying to be the best we can in the present with a little bit of humility instead of pretending like we're, here's, here's it. Stop pretending like we're, historians in 2300 arrogantly explaining to people about what was going on in 2020 i think in the midst of the storm you have uh, that has some difficulty there and so to just look at the present for our truth is a very difficult thing because we're in the eye of the storm we're in the midst of the storm and you can't predict the future so you really only have one left thing left and that's to study history yeah and how about I, that for that that would be that that's like a ta- i should give that to our history 
history department. Historians. Historians. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Like you, I got to phrase this perfectly though. Like you can't. In the midst of the present storm, you cannot really be a judge of the present, and you can't predict the future. You're only left with one option: take a history course. There you go. Something like that. Yeah. I like it. I could market this. Yeah. The Bugenhagen <laughs> card too. The Bugenhagen. Yeah. The yeah. um. I, I do think, too, to, to draw out something there. You know, in the midst of the storm, too. That's a T-shirt, by the way. I'll be your Bugenhagen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the midst of the storm, too, um, I think another thing we see when we don't understand history is kind of this rise of boogeymanism, right? That <coughs> Or boogeymanism. That you're going to assign, this must be the villain. And uh, um, that misses sometimes centuries of developments that have contributed to something and and so it can really blind you to actually dealing with real issues and problems, and we end up instead um, just villainizing people or places or or things. Um, and so it becomes a throwing out of a bunch of different terms and slanders, um, and and not a real addressing of things. Think of this uh, just in our own day, um, the uh, the experience of let's say a, a white. Um, middle-class suburban family um, that has truly worked for everything they have. You know, their parents hadn't gone to college. Um, they worked hard. They saved. Um, and then they hear about the struggles of, of people of color, and they hear things like, well, white people have it so easy because we're just going to lump all white people <coughs> together. They're rightly going to say, wait a second, like, I grew up, you know, in a very low-income home in a bad part of the city or <coughs> You pick. Well, at the same time, then they're gonna they're gonna not understand the situation of a person of color, who maybe has grown up with a number of challenges, who has experienced a lot of the things that are in the um, the news today of of um, unfortunate experiences that people have had. <coughs> and I, I'm not talking even police brutality or anything, but just in general in society. Well, at the same time, the the person of color, if if it, if the the boogeyman for them is just. Uh, white people in general, um, they might fail to be able to understand and to di dialogue with those who have struggled. I mean, in many ways, the people in America who have the most in common are, are poor whites and poor blacks. Yeah, yeah, we, and they've been pitted against each other, and they don't understand the history of how they've been pitted against each other precisely to avoid either of them um, really being able to improve their situation. Yeah, last time you were talking about the Serb Hall uh, rally, um uh, and and some of the clashes there and you were sending pictures and the first thing that came to mind was you two groups should be on the same side like by all accounts you two groups should be on the same side and look how i hate to say manipulated but look how you've been manipulated to hate each other and um and that's uh you know that's really really sad and as you said this is not the first time or the last time that that has that has been played out, right? Uh, there's something else I was thinking about, like the, the boogeyman kind of thing. Um, um, your last bullet point I thought was interesting. A failure to study the past has created a burden no society is able to bear. If everything is all or nothing, now or never, and heightened rhetoric to an unsustainable pitch, like you're, you're, I think a lot of times we ask of one administration or one country or one political party or one church or one congregation 
to literally be utopia on earth within within six months. That's why the big infrastructure projects never get done because you want to do stuff you can do in two years or four years to get reelected. You're not going to do something expensive that we don't see for 30 years. Right. So um, there, there is, you're, you're asking too much of ourselves, right? I mean, I don't mean that as an excuse, not at all. What I'm saying is maybe because we put so much pressure on this generation or that generation to fix everything without having any kind of thoughtful, meaningful change. And we tell them that at every graduation speech. Your generation will be the one that does everything. Right. Um, you know, another thing to think about, too, is, you know, you can have, like, maybe a more right-leaning looking at history. You know what I would say in a graduation speech? I'd say, because the people always say, like, your generation might be the one to cure cancer. And I think I'd say, like, you probably won't be the one to cure cancer, but maybe, like, you'll be able to come up with something about male pattern baldness. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, let's yeah. be, which would be great. Yeah. I would appreciate it. <laughs> I say to my, I, I, I look over at my students, I go, there's, there's a chance that a, a few of you may bury a child. Uh, you know, probably a handful of you are going to die too young because of cancer. And, uh, but that's... Some of you are going to get hooked on drugs. You know, and then, and then I'm like, hey, have a good weekend. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's usually in the context of uh, the theology of the cross. But, okay, let's take a typical uh, right-wing nut. I'm just going to say it. Right-wing nut who says, our history... And has a whitewashed understanding of the history he wants it to be. Can we come up with a name for him? What about uh, Peter? Cletus. And oh, I, I, Peter. Who can go I with Peter? I thought it would be fun to say Peter. And the other guy's going to be named Ben. Anyway. Okay. Peter's going to be, uh, you know, don't, don't change this perfect history that is the utopia that is the shining city on the hill, the United States of America. And I think people on the left are rightfully going to say, uh, just list off you know, Indian treaty after Indian treaty, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. right. I mean, case close. Right. But at the same time, <clears throat> those on the far, far left, the bends of the world. Right. Um, we've talked about this before that a lot of times they're living off the bar borrowed capital of, uh, of Christianity and of, of the, the, of the or, yeah. or of the West. And to put it more, distinctly the the american ideal like these the american ideal um i think is uh fantastic i think it's beautiful and and it is flawed and certainly the people that brought it about were flawed and you know we, i will criticize thomas jefferson's theology and that in fact that he owns slave you know i mean rightfully so but if i throw I heard he was a Cardinals fan too. Yeah, I throw everything out um, because I don't like this one thing. Man, you are really, you are really, you're cutting the limb that you're sitting on. And I know that's hard to to swallow for for people, but I think it's absolutely true. I think about this the other way. Just a, a silly example, like uh, let's take Mormonism and, Christ, and and conservative Christianity. Conservative Christianity says. We're going to be very weary of Mormon teaching. In fact, we're going to throw it out. We're not going to be acceptable of everything. And like, if I got up in a in a in if I got up to preach a sermon tonight, I'm going to preach tonight. And I said, we can learn things from other religions. I would th people would take uh, they would be aghast, right? But think about it. Um, Mormon is Mormonism is officially pro-life. Does that mean that I have to be pro-choice choice now? No, right? I mean, I can disagree. With, and there might with, be Mormons who make 
pro-life arguments that are very helpful. Right. And so I, I, you have to be able to be nimble enough. And a part of that under, is, is understanding, and we skip this point, is the, our correct anthropology. That I should not expect perfection from anybody. In fact, I should expect that there is going to be super, very deep flaws in these human beings. And they're going to be hypocritical about it. And they're going to have huge blind spots. And I'm not going to ignore that blind spot. But I'm also going to be humble enough to know that I have a blind spot as well. And that 100 years from now, they're going to be like, can you believe what they did back then that they just thought was normal? And so at, at you and I both make a big point in our history classes to say, this sounds odd to us when we hear about this in Genesis or this in Luther or this from, from uh, the imperial church. But back the train up a little bit here and say, um, think it through. Maybe they actually had a point. And even though they might all, we, all, we might ultimately come down on that they were immoral or wrong in this situation, um, don't, don't judge the whole thing out through this one. And usually it's one particular thing, whether it be the treatment of women or um, uh, whatever <clears throat> violence or the rhetoric of Luther or anything like that. We can both say Luther shouldn't have said what he said in a lot of instances and probably could have been nicer. However, let's also soften that by show, showing you what... Um, what the the Roman Catholic or other camp said about Katie, <laughs> sure. right? You yeah. know, yeah. like let's put it into context here. Um, and that's part of being a legit historian and not a history channel historian, nor a revisionist historian who's just going to point out all the flaws of the history books from 1950 Dallas, Texas. Right. And I guess a couple things that come to mind. Um, first, in many ways, uh, you know, the study of history is like travel or studying another language. Um, when you when you travel, you not only understand the place you traveled to better, but you understand home better, right? Uh, you come home and you notice things about your life back home that you would not have noticed without the, the perspective of traveling. When you study language, if you study enough that you get to the point that even if it's not fluency, but that you can begin to think in that language, or even you just learn their vocabulary and see how some of their words are put together, <clears throat> you're able to step back and see how they approached, think of something silly like um, how uh, someone in another language does animal sounds versus how we do. And then you hear them do it and you kind of step back and go, that animal does kind of make that sound <laughs> too, right? Um, <clears throat> well, well, so also when we're married to the language of our own day and when we are... Um, married to the culture of our own day, uh, history allows us to step back and say, how did people wrestle with these things before when they had a different lens? And sometimes that lens historically wasn't helpful and it's better we're thinking it through now. <clears throat> but sometimes that lens was extremely helpful. Um, and that's not that you get a 100% solution from that, um, but it can get, give insight. Think of it even with the vaccine drive for covid one of the actual growing fields in history, one of the few is history of science. And it's because we recognize that <clears throat> in many ways, scientific lessons for today for addressing problems can be learned from how they were addressed in the past. And so the people who are inventing these vaccines we can't wait for, they look to the past to say, how 
did people approach and, and come up with vaccinations earlier, right? Um, what did they look at? How did they consider? What did they rule out so that we don't waste time on that? Um, and, and the same should be done with religion and with politics and even with, um, with individual relationships, right? Isn't this kind of what therapy does? It, it has a step back and someone um, brings a perspective looking at it differently and says, well, have you considered <clears throat> this or that? Even marriage counseling when the pastor's there, that's basically what the pastor's doing is being <clears throat> someone who's not caught up in the hate fest that the marriage has become and said, you know, again, can say like, well, maybe she has a point that you could do this and maybe he has a point you could try that. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, the, the final point and, and, uh, and I'll throw it to you, Mike, and then I'll probably end up interrupting you. I always throw it to you and then I interrupt you, but... Um, just something that I, I saw not too long ago that was really troubling to me, and I, I can't remember if it was I was talking to someone <clears throat> or I saw it in um, you know people back and forth online, was about the president and people arguing about if so-and-so or so-and-so were elected, that they just wouldn't pray for them. They don't think that would be Christian. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, A, have you never heard the prayer of the church? You know, the prayer of the church or forms of the prayer of the church, which we've had, for nigh two millennium now, um, again and again include prayers for the queen or for the president, for the governor, for the mayor. And there's never been, so far as I know, you're the worship prof, a bracket that says, so long as you agree with them on everything. <laughs> um, have we not read Paul's admonitions to pray for those who govern? Have we not read Romans 13? Yeah, but St. Paul lived in a Christian Well, like and that's what I want to get at. Right? If you, I mean, you read Romans 13, <laughs> I mean... Paul was not living under a emperor who and was... could have never even fathomed it. Right. Yeah. This was not um, a pro... This this was not Constantine. This was not a pro-Christian empire. Definitely not pro-life. You read about exposure to the elements for children. Uh, <clears throat> the games in the Colosseum. Uh, blatant disregard for life. Um, there, You know, it was uh, a militaristic society in many ways. <clears throat> many of the Roman wars were not just wars from a perspective that we would view it from today. And and that's not to say we definitely should in America be active um, speaking up for what is good and what is just in the political realm. I'm not calling for a quietism, um, but I am calling for a historical perspective where we don't lose our bearings so far that we somehow think um, that we end up dismissing the very admonitions of of scripture that we are that we are given, and that we not think um, that we not lose the gratitude we ought to have for the time and place in which we live. Yeah. Yes, I would love to see um, Roe v. Wade overturned. I don't think that ends abortion because it goes to the states. I'm very <coughs> leery of that. But um, but at the same time, as terrible as that is. Uh, that the unborn are, are killed. And I, I both of us are, are pro-life. We would hold that. And not just for theological reasons. Right. But at the same time, um, we live in a time and a place that God has uh, abundantly blessed as well. To compare the challenges of our time and place to many other in history where Christians prayed for those who actively persecuted them. Right, uh, and and to think now that we we that scripture must uh, must apply to us differently, um, 
is to literally lose lose our minds hermeneutically. Um, and I think there's a real da- read Daniel, mm-hmm. read the book of Daniel. They threw him in a lion's den, right? Um, and uh, and so this is a real concern for me with the Christian church with history. Um, I think sometimes we like to read about the the saints and martyrs of the past um, with a theology of glory, right? I'm going to be like them. And then we create our modern day to be like what they must have gone through so we can be that. Um, A negative theology of glory, look that I suffered and I'm a hero. Right. Rather than looking back and um, and simply giving thanks um, that God has delivered his church and used people like that, for our benefit maybe maybe times of persecution come um but uh the uh let me give i don't know if i'm making yeah, sense let me, now, let me but give I'm you stop. an example of that how this kind of happens subtly i've been i don't know if we've done this on the podcast or not but i've done this in in classes where i know we got a lot of you know let's say half our students if not more are going to be wisconsin synod and so they kind of we kind of you know, we kind of know what we're talking about. Uh, each other's talking about, you know, those those subtle things that, that you don't really know you're doing. Anyway, regardless. To say, how many of you have listened to this five-point or four, four or five-point sermon like a gazillion times? I, You're naughty. Jesus loves you anyway. You should love Jesus. I know. I bet I can even pick where we're going. To really love Jesus is to tell people about Jesus, but it is going to be very hard because people hate Jesus. And this kind of little fake martyrdom we got in America and the truth of the matter, first of all, that does not, that is not egg me on to do evangelism. It makes me not want to do it because it's, it, there's an obstacle that you put in the way. Also, if that's all I have in my spiritual wheelhouse is Jesus loves me, this I know, I don't feel confident to do it. And I think that um, this fake martyrdom makes us shriek back into the fortress mentality. It makes us less likely to talk to people. It le- makes us less confident in a. Uh, I'm going to use worldview, so don't, but don't, don't criticize me. The robust worldview that Christianity is. I used worldview earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I didn't even realize it till you just mentioned it. Because you, we, you haven't been taught anything profound, right? Say something profound, and the truth of the matter is that if you, in this time and in this place, if you have something profound to say that the vast majority of people will listen to you and have a conversation with you because the vast majority of people are not just doing Twitter memes. Um, and if, I was just about to say we need to go beyond memes. Yeah, We're you, on the same wavelength. If you, if you Although have, I'm pro-meme. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're hilarious. But if you have something profound to say and you can do it without being a total jerk and you lose the martyrdom attitude because you're not really a martyr here. Um, then I th- and, and also lose the conspiracy theory that we're on our way to martyrdom. Um, and the only way to do is to fight rather than to actually have something profound 
and intelligent to say. Because like, otherwise, you, you're going you're you're to fall able, back on political power. Yeah, you're going to fall back on non-Christian means. You, this is the setting for evangelism. And it has absolutely nothing to do with marketing or anything like that. It is having something profound to say, and I, I we got to lo- we just got to lose the martyrdom attitude. It's not I'm not buying it, and and then the the true enemies of the church are going to roll their eyes and they're going to say, "What a bunch of babies! What a bunch of privileged babies!" And I'm not sure that they're not right sometimes about that. Yeah, it's part of why I had to get off social media. It's driving me insane. Um, and and we we lose young people that way too. We're out of time. So I'm going to give you the, here. Why don't you take the, why don't you take us out here? Um, yeah, I, I just think, uh, I was ranting a little bit today, I think, right. but I've been out of practice. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy right. to be back. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, uh, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you can, uh, find some comfort in knowing that you are not merely the present, and you are not having to bear the burden um, in some existential sense of owning um, your future, of giving it purpose and meaning, um, but that you are a product of the, the past as well, for good and for ill. Um, but even more, um, you have one who came in the past, um, whose person and work now abides and abounds for you in the present, uh, so that you have a sure and a certain future. Um, and knowing that, uh, in Christ our Lord, you can uh, let the bird fly. I'm just a tanker. I set him up. Another round. I set him up. Another round. I set him up. Another round. One more round won't get me down. I said, honey, I don't care.